0: Hey there, and welcome back to The Will and Rob Show. It's great to be with you all. My name is Robert Hassler. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry to State. Here with me, as always, is my very good friend and colleague, uh, Will Stockdale, also ministry, ministry associate with Ministry to State. Will,
1: how's everything going? is going well, going well, except for, I'm just going to be honest, I'm going to let people in on a little secret. We are re-recording this episode because we had a major technological difficulty uh, with our equipment. And uh, the content was unusable. And as the creators of the content, we would never want to give our listeners anything other than the best. And so we are re-recording for that purpose.
0: Yes, that's that's very well said. We, we always make sure that our product is the best it can be for our listeners. Um, and so that's why we are going to re-record this episode. Um, but it's a very important topic, so it's, it's probably good to spend more time talking about it. And, you know, even I was thinking like even after we recorded earlier today and I was driving back home, I was thinking like, oh, man, there's so much more to be said about this topic. And so I'm actually kind of looking forward to, to talking with you uh, again about it. Um, it's a topic we've addressed in the past. Uh, not too long ago, we talked about uh, persecution. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we we looked at persecution specifically in sort of the American context and, and, you know uh, what does persecution in America look like today? But I think one thing, maybe we both felt this afterwards, like one thing that was just missing from that conversation was um, a more global perspective of persecution, especially in light of the church being a worldwide multinational reality. Um, And I think also Persecution being such an important theological idea and and theme in scripture, particularly um, in the early church. And so I think probably a good place to start this conversation is, um, Will, why don't you walk us through the role that persecution takes on, uh, particularly in the book of Acts? I know, you know, in in Acts, we get um, the martyrdom of Stephen, uh, and he's really the first uh, of the the new Christians, the new church uh, to be persecuted by the religious authorities. So kind of walk us through uh, that, that story.
1: Right. When I was thinking about where would we want to start a conversation about global persecution? Well, um, we can start with the first martyr of the Christian faith, and that is Stephen. And uh, as we know, martyr comes from the Greek word that means witness. And so Stephen, um, and, and I think, one of the things here that's important to understand um, is so in Stephen's story, right? He is, he is um, arrested. He is brought before the court and he gives a testimony explaining why he believes that Jesus is the son of God, the redeemer of the world. So he tells the entire story of scripture confesses his belief does not back down and is killed. And as he's the first martyr, as he's the first witness, he's a witness, not only in the way that he says, this is what I believe. He's not just saying, this is what I believe. What he is saying and what Christian martyrs are saying is that this is what I believe is objectively true about the world out there, the world that we are all inhabiting. And um, so he uh, is talking and, and and as we know um, he is stoned to death and Saul who is later to become Paul Is there. He bears witness to this. He is holding the cloaks of the men who throw the stones. And as Paul is on the road to Damascus, he is confronted by the resurrected Lord who says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, And he says, Who are you? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in this, we see an intimate connection between the resurrected Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ and his people who suffer, and that he identifies with us. Additionally to this, we um, know that the doctrine of what we call the union with Christ, which is that we are, are, we are spiritually, mysteriously, metaphysically united with Jesus as he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, we are all united together, but primarily first vertically on the vertical axis, then secondly, on the horizontal axis to each other. But this idea of union with Christ works itself out some 160 times in the New Testament. Uh, and most of them are from Paul. And so we see like, as Paul is thinking through his theology, as he goes off, and we read in Galatians about him spending all this time meditating, thinking about the truth, studying, researching, meeting with James and John and learning who Jesus was, you know, his first encounter with Jesus Is him talking about him being united to his people. And as we look as Paul soars to these incredible heights and glories in Ephesians, or as he's talking about him suffering and being in prison in Philippians, this idea of our union with Christ is always there for Paul. Um, That is, and Jesus is so faithful to us that whether it's the glorious, you know, something like a wedding day or suffering by being stoned to death, Jesus is with his people and he is a good God. So. I think this kind of helps us understand um, one, his identification with the suffering church Two, why, why we should care about the persecuted church because we are united to Christ. He feels that. And and thirdly um, we are closely connected to our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering persecution and martyrdom for the sake of Jesus.
0: Yeah. That's a, that last point is I think really what I want to head because I think it's so easy even in such an interconnected world that we have today, where the internet, uh, the economy, uh, uh, telecommunications, everything is, it feels like the world is getting smaller. But in, in many ways, I still feel, as a uh, Christian living in America, uh, very disconnected from what is going on uh, in countries outside of my own, uh, particularly with Christians and uh, persecution. I mean, certainly there is room to talk about the real persecution that is happening to the church in sort of the West. Uh, and we we had a whole episode about that. I, I, and that, that's a whole topic. Um, but we should also seriously consider what is happening to our brothers and sisters across the globe, because like you said, we're so intimately connected to them uh, and in a very, uh, mysterious but altogether real way and to be completely honest when I think about uh, uh, persecution I, I'm uh, my mind goes to sort of old images of the early church I don't really think of what's going on now uh, in the world and um, sometimes it, it takes some of these horribly sad stories to sort of jar me back um, to to realize I, I know one that that recently did that for me was the story um, of uh, Nabil Habashi Salama, uh, Christianity Today reported about him. He was a, a Coptic Orthodox Christian in Egypt who was, who was uh, murdered by ISIS. And that story is incredibly sad. And then you realize like, oh, this is happening everywhere. Um, this, is a, this, is a nat- this is sort of a normal phenomena for most Christians, especially if you consider the staggering numbers of Christians who live outside uh, the West. Um, I mean, this is happening to a large majority of the church, right?
1: Right. There's a number I saw that one eighth of Christians live in an area where they are being persecuted actively for their faith. So it's 340 million Christians. It's one eighth of the total Christian population who are living in areas where it is unsafe to be a Christian. And, um, you mentioned, uh, that oftentimes we go back to maybe thinking about the Circus Maximus. Most people think that most Christians were, mar- were martyred in the Colosseum. There were only like two Christians ever martyred in the Colosseum. Most of them were martyred in the Circus Maximus. But neither here nor there. Uh, when I was in middle school, I think I was given a book by that was done by Voice of the Martyrs, which is Richard Wormbrand, who was a um, persecuted for his faith in in uh, communist Romania there's a story my friend told me about him where the police come into this meeting hall and everyone's, these men are seated and they start asking, if you're right here in a Christian, please stand up. And he doesn't stand up. And his wife says, why don't you stand up? And he says, well, if I stand up, they'll take me to prison. And she said, I'd rather have a husband in prison than a coward. Wow. <laughs> I know. That's so, so good. Isn't that great? <laughs> and so he stands up. Um, but there were all these stories in there that I would read and I loved reading them. Uh, some ways they scared me because the question was, am I going to be asked to, to stand for my faith and be tortured? I, I think, especially as a little kid, we always worry about these things. Um, and I think we should probably think about how we would respond now, but there was one story in particular that I just read over and over again about a soldier in, Soviet Russia, who was found out of his faith and was forced to stand all night in the freezing snow uh, as as punishment or persecution for his faith. But these stories, to use a phrase we've used before, kind of pour liquid steel down our spines to encourage us in our faith and and how we are to follow Jesus as the saints who have gone before us demonstrate to us what it looks like to live faithfully.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's well said. Um so you've been doing a little bit of research into this, uh, recently. And, you know, when I think of, uh, the persecution of the church today, uh, I think of the, the story from Christianity today. I mean, I, I, the images that come to mind are, uh, sort of, especially since nine 11, particularly, uh, Islamic extremism persecuting Christians in the middle East. I mean, that's kind of my default image, but, uh, as you were praying for this episode, you were kind of sharing me with some stats. I mean, uh, one that kind of blew my mind, I didn't really realize was a place like North Korea as one of the the top, I mean, it, it's sort of intuitive, like, of course, they're probably persecuting Christians, but like just the, the, the fact of North Korea being so closed off from the world as it is, I didn't even, it didn't even register in my mind that there are Christians to be sort of quantified in that place that are being persecuted. Um, and that's, that's completely different sort of than the image I have in my head.
1: It is hard for us to really understand just how bad things are in North Korea, because like you said, it is so closed off and there it's all propaganda. It is impossible to know just how bad things are, but we can pretty much safely assume what we know about North Korea, that it's, it's worse than whatever, the whatever we're being told by the way the information comes out. But yeah, I, I was doing some research on this and I'll tell you just as a starter, um, I was just really inspired and encouraged. And my eyes would well up with tears as I read these stories and saw the smiling faces of, well, of, of certain people. And I, you know, in a place like North Korea, you're not going to get pictures of Christians. They're not going to be able to show those, but in other areas they were. And so beautiful to see these men and women who are living so faithfully, but we're going to, what I want to do is like those three countries that we've talked about uh, look at those and, and, There have been some numbers, and just to kind of give us a a little bit of scope of this, um, from the reports they've done for 2020 and 2021, the number of Christians martyred for their faith increased from 4,305 when they released the 2020 report to 4,761 for the 2021 report. So that's a 456 increase. And for the last 15 years consecutively, the number of Christians martyr for their faith has increased. That number has only been going up. Um, we can look at that in a couple ways. Persecution is probably getting worse where there's more hostility In other areas. Uh, praise God as the blood of the saints waters, the church, there are more people coming to know Jesus, hopefully in this um, do not say that in a gleeful way, of course, in a tragic, but we, uh, we do know that whether to live as Christ and to die Gain. Uh, I know I'm safely saying that in the West, but it's true. Um, and so we have those realities. And uh, like I mentioned, that one eighth of Christians live in this persecuted places. So North Korea is where we want to start. And there are an estimated fifty to seventy thousand Christians who are in internment work camps. Mm. And which uh, Otto was it? Otto uh, Wormbrand, the 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 American student who was held in one of those camps and came back basically brain dead and died. So we can imagine, we, we can't imagine, but we know that these are horrific places. The intensity of persecution in North Korea is so intense that Christians are not able to tell other Christians about their faith. And there are even stories of couples being married and both being Christians and neither knowing that the other is a believer.
0: That's incredible.
1: Isn't that incredible? Like, and think about how much joy you and I get, uh, how much life, how much iron sharpening iron challenge that we receive by being able to talk about what God is doing in our lives. And there's just no opportunity to do that with each other over over in North Korea.
0: Yeah. It it in perspective when you think about the the prospect of living the Christian life almost completely isolated in in a sort of local sense, it's so daunting. And then you add the added pressure of living in in a dictatorship and complete tyranny as North Korea is. I mean, it's absolutely, it it, it takes, there's really no words to describe it at the end of the day.
1: Right. Right. The next one is Afghanistan. And so you mentioned Muslim persecution and the two big uh, um, persecutors of Christians, you will get uh, communist secularism that is persecuting the church where that's North Korea or places like China where persecution is happening or you do get militant Islam in places like Afghanistan. And next we'll look at Somalia who are persecuting Christians. So those are going to be the largest places where persecution is happening, but like other Eastern countries, it's culture is largely shame honor based. And this is a heavily Muslim majority cult, culture uh, country. And being a Christian brings a lot of shame on one's family, which results in either being basically excommunicated from the family, being kicked out of the family and loss of all social networks or death um, being executed. And a lot of uh, families will respond to finding out that a member of their family is a Christian by just uh, disowning, disowning them. And then they also point out that there's this quote, quote, life is especially difficult for women. Research estimates that 70 to 80% of all Afghan women face forced marriage. More than half are married before the legal age of 16 coerced marriage is often used to ensure a woman stays a Muslim, Um, end quote. And and one of the reasons I I say that, and I think it's important to add, in in Islam, a Muslim man is able to marry a non-Muslim woman, uh, but a Muslim woman cannot marry a non-Muslim man. And the reason for that is that the, the husband decides the religion of the household. And so by... Having these women who might be on the tipping scale, maybe they're interested in Christianity maybe the family finds out they will put them in a uh presumably put them in a uh, Muslim with a Muslim husband and make sure that the faith is Muslim faith is put on them and there's not the freedom to 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 openly follow Jesus
0: yeah that's I think this this topic is so important um f- and and relevant for Christians in America. Uh, it's true that a lot of uh, uh, folks from around the world uh, and in the Middle East uh, come to the United States for higher education. And I think one of the one of the most important ministries out there uh, in the PCA is uh, Ruf International and what they're doing for international students on college campuses. And this is a big thing that I've heard from uh, some of the Ruf guys that I've talked to, and that's. Um, when uh you have somebody that comes from a muslim muslim majority country uh themselves muslim uh maybe nominally so or 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 culturally so they'll come to the united states for higher ed um they're sort of attracted by the ruf culture or the ruf community and start attending and then uh uh maybe uh, have a profession of faith and, and convert to christianity and uh what so many people in America and in the West don't really understand is the, the intense sacrifice that comes with that um, for that individual um, and really the need of the church to become that new family uh, for that convert, to really bolster up that, that new convert, particularly with uh, relationships and a support system. And so um, I think that's one of the ways that the local church can get really integrated with some of the stuff that RUF is doing. Um, because that's just a reality for those kinds of individuals that most of us are in, in our culture are just unfamiliar with.
1: And with that loss of family comes a real sense of exhaustion from people who are trying to live their Christian lives. Faithfully there's a woman that they quote, who's she's just tired of seeing death all around her. And that's part of her prayer request from those of us in the West. And we'll talk about that at the end here as we wrap up, but The next one is Somalia and Somalia is 99% Muslim. Uh, And during the pandemic, uh, Christians were blamed for bringing in the virus. So Mm -hmm. this kind of echoes a little bit of Nero and Christians burning Rome. Now, what I want to say, I forgot to mention this, North Korea In North Korea. We, like I said, we don't know how bad it is. They have called COVID the ghost virus. Because people are so malnourished there, there is such a food crisis that it kills people. The virus kills people unbelievably quickly. Hmm. Just, just sweeps through people. So, um, like we said, it's it's worse than we can really even get our heads around and understand. Right. Um, Christians are often executed as soon as they're discovered. So they'll find them and drag them out and then execute them immediately, which. Is uh, there's a story of a woman named uh, Momina, uh, who and this is it's so cool. We've we've probably heard these stories before, but how Jesus is reaching people in Muslim countries as dreams are important. Jesus Isa, as he is spoken of in the Quran, comes to them in their dreams. And this there's a quote: Momina, she's 38 years old, encountered Jesus in her dreams and became a Christian. Her husband abandoned her and her family was ordered not to support her. And this is a quote from her said, we are all dead, but Jesus came to save us and give us a new life. I leave my life in his hands. She says, I am so excited that God is with me wherever I am. I am also glad the Lord listens to my prayers.
0: I mean, so just quickly, a a quick aside is you mentioned the thing about dreams, like I think those of us who grew up in the West and sort of a post-enlightenment rationalist West in particular, um, a lot of the, anything that sounds sort of quasi charismatic, we tend to sort of uh, feel iffy about. Um, but one thing I've always heard from missionaries uh, who've come back and talked to our churches is is the incredible and miraculous ways that the Lord is, is revealing himself to people uh, uh, in uh, countries and uh, places around the world. and. A big one of that is dreams, and uh, what's what's interesting is this sounds so bad of me, and I'm I'm guilty of it, so I, I need I need to repent of it. Is that I tend to think, okay, fine, but they're probably not very, you know, if, if that's true, then maybe their theological or, orthodoxy might be lacking, and you know, I don't know about that blah blah. But you you just that quote right there. I mean, that what is that? But not like the purest form of faith. I mean, that is. That's mere Christianity uh, if I've ever heard it. Um, And so there is a need uh, for us to kind of step back from our own particular context and really, (laughs) really get a sense of what the Lord is doing in the worldwide body of of Christ.
1: Right. And as God is moving about, and this woman has such a pure faith, I'm, I'm, making assumptions from extrapolating entirety for her life from this quote, but uh, she mentions we're all dead and Jesus came to give us new life. I imagine that John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life reads a little differently for her than it does for me. Mm-hmm. There's a depth of what we would in our seminary luxurious armchairs would call a hermeneutic, right? Perhaps a, a more substantial hermeneutic of what new life actually means for the Christian based on where the Lord has her and what she is doing. For sure.
0: Now uh, I don't know if this is Somalia, but you told me a story about um, uh, a case where uh, there was a a couple of sons who were uh, had their, this is not to get too graphic, but you know, we're talking about persecution, so it's going to happen. But I think they had their, their throat slit, but miraculously lived um, and, and sort of their testimony to yeah. the scars and wounds of that. What was that story again?
1: Well, the last thing we wanted to look at was Nigeria. And one thing we know about Nigeria is Boko Haram is present there. And Boko Haram has we, uh, the the, fam- the story that became very well known several years ago about the schoolgirls who were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Boko Haram has been attacking Christians. In fact, they will attack Christian villages and leave other villages, non-Christian villages alone. And there's this one woman, they gave her the name Amina, like Momina from the other story, this is a pseudonym in order to protect her. And she uh, had a husband and she has sons. Well, Boko Haram comes into her village and pulls uh, her husband and sons out into the uh, courtyard area of the village and asks the husband if he is a Christian And he says, yes. And he refuses to recant. And so they execute him right there and then they do the same thing to her sons. But instead of shooting the sons, they attempt to slit, um, cut their throats. And as they're bleeding out, some she is wailing and crying and praying and, um, they are rescued and taken to the hospital and saved. And then they somehow live and, um, you can find this story at opendoorsusa.org. You can read about this, but she gives praise to God. She talks about her sons with these scars. They have, and you can see the picture of the scars on their neck. It's um, it's uh, not to use like a uh, truly like a ghastly image. I mean, it is, a, it is a horrible scar. At first they wanted to hide them because they were self-conscious and they're aware that it was a sign that they had been attacked by Boko Haram. This wasn't a shame thing. This was, uh, it seems like more of a, they were just, aware of what it indicated and instead they chose to reveal the scars and to live with them showing because they according to amina that they are proof of god's existence Hmm. that these scars show that god is real and there's another pastor who experienced um attacks from boko haram and his home was destroyed and he is full of joy and encouragement and life and trust that god is alive and active in the world and i think that you know we can talk about scars in a metaphorical way of like our scars are proof that god is real but these saints truly do bear scars that are proof of god's reality and existence in the world
0: i mean i think of the passage at the end of john uh with doubting thomas and you know the risen lord is one who still has the marks of the crucifixion and that is to, you know, demonstrate that the work has been accomplished, that, re- that forgiveness uh, was, or th- that atonement was really made for. And uh, I, I just, that's, that's kind of what comes to mind. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, overlap there and, and similarities in, in that, in that sort of thinking about uh, the marks um, of persecution and, and, Our unity with Christ. So
1: well, I was gonna say, I I think in light of in line with that is the um truth that faithfulness is the greatest apologetic. Hmm. So faithful living unto Jesus is the greatest form of apologetics. And these stories are meant to are used by God to encourage our faith, to strengthen our faith. Uh and there there are so many things that we can do here in the states to support our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted around the world there is a story about Cyprian of Carthage in 258 AD where he is taken before the proconsul Galerius and he is asked by them he says the most reverend emperors have ordered you to reform the religious rites and uh he responds and says i will not then Galerius tries to reason with him consider your own interest to which Cyprian responds do as you have been ordered. And so clear a case, there is no need for deliberation. Hmm. Uh, The line was drawn in the sand for Cyprian. The clear case was, I will not bend the knee to this man who calls himself God and is not, I will be faithful to my God. And he ends up being executed. And his faith was so strong that as he was going to the execution block, he wanted to, Tie his own blindfold around his eyes, but he couldn't because his hands were shaking, and so he has to have someone else do it for him. But that kind of resolve, again, that kind of thing that puts steel down our spines to live faithfully before Jesus. and may we all be able to say in so clear a case as this there's there's nothing there's no need for deliberation. there's nothing more to talk about. I don't have any way to i'm not I'm not bending where I stand on this, and you clearly are not either. so I don't see what the point is trying to talk my way around this. But as we think about these stories, whether, you know, it's from Somalia or Boko, Nigeria or North Korea or China, uh, Afghanistan, these saints who are facing persecution, their biggest request, their number one request constantly is prayer Hmm. and our willingness to pray for our brothers and sisters. and I'm sure that there are people on here who, who listen to the show who do, I don't do it nearly as often. I wish I did it more. Uh, and there, God bless you for your prayers and for financial support to these places, but our praying for people that we will never meet except this side of heaven shows, shows the depth of which, to which we believe prayer is effective. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, I I would just encourage us to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, to be remembering them, to remember what they're suffering and let that be an encouragement and a strengthening for us to live as lights in a dark world. And the others, you can go to places like voice of the martyrs. Uh, You can go to open doors USA and give financially support the work they're doing. There's so many awesome things happening with these incredibly bold Christians who are looking to rescue Christians out of harm that are bringing Bibles to them that are supporting them. Um, testimony of like the pastor Jeremiah guy that we mentioned, who is supported by open doors and uh, helped by them in his ministry. And um, it's going to be exciting one day to get to heaven and get to hear their stories in person.
0: For sure. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I wanted to leave this because um, it's, it, it, I sort of get this picture of sitting around sort of the, the, the festival table and and feasting and, you know, doing what we always do at meals, which is sharing stories and sort of hearing the great, you know, victories of the faith. And I think that that's just something, you know, I, I get that picture sort of in Hebrews a little bit, and I am excited to um, experience that uh, in, in the new kingdom as well. The new kingdoms in the new heavens as well. So um, well, great. I, I th- that was awesome. Thank you for sharing those resources for us. Um, as always uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. Um, Make sure to visit ministryofstate.org. And with that, we'll see you guys again next week.